Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Welcome back. It's Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth here on The Advertising Show. It's being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. How about that? Visit online at adh.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Happy to be back with you uh, live this weekend. We've got lots to talk about, including a very special guest out of New York. And her name is Catherine Carter. Catherine is, well, let me, let me give you the official title. She is an art consultant and author. She is also the author of a, a new book called Accelerating on the Curves, the Artist Roadmap to Success. And, you know, the advertising show is a rather diversified uh, show in terms of marketing and, and all different sorts of aspects. And, and uh, we, we'd love to know what you think of uh, what we're going to talk about today and how important it is you feel uh, to the overall advertising mix as well. So we'll be looking for your input here. Uh, I'll give you Brad's cell phone number, or better yet, his home yeah. phone number. No, I won't do that either. But uh, anyway, it's good to have you here. Uh, Ray and Brad on the advertising show. Brad, how you been doing? Well, I'm doing great. And, you know, I think last, uh, sh- uh, last month we failed to mention, I'm thinking, my memory isn't always working at best these days, but... Anyway, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary. That's uh, from 2001 to 2011, so uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thanks to everyone out there that has made us one of the more popular shows on iTunes. 500-plus interviews later, we're still rocking and rolling. And yeah. it's all because of you, the listener that supports our show around the world. And as I mentioned, uh, under the business category, uh, subcategory of marketing, they have what's hot as a category, and we're one of the top 100 shows on iTunes within the marketing category. So I don't know what the number is, Ray, but I got to believe that on iTunes you have literally tens of thousands of podcasts that are available to listen to. And proud to say that after all of our effort uh, mm-hmm. here on the show, consistently putting out uh, hopefully what you think is good uh, content and good interviews and good guests. Uh, we're still around, so thank you for 10 years of a, a nice ride here. All right. And you, and you, and you in the back there. And you over there, yeah. Our uh, feature this week is Where in the World is Brad and Ray? Uh, <laughs> Ray's in the studio in Houston. Uh, Brad is in the studio in Maui. Okay, so that just so you know, and that's no secret. Uh, and our so, guest is in a studio in New York. New yeah, York exactly. So we're spanning the globe here, even more miles traveled than Matt Lauer. Who's doing the uh, Today Show? Where in the world is Matt this week? Now, when you say spanning the globe, who do you immediately think of? Uh, the wide world of sports, of course. Yeah, well, that guy David uh, is a Dave a Berman. I don't know is his last name. He's with NBC. Does the local NBC sports in New York uh, mm-hmm. on the NBC owned and operated TV station there, uh, and always comes on. Not always, but often comes on. The Today Show and does that program that he, that little feature that he does yeah. every so often. He's been doing it for decades, spanning the globe. I think he's still using uh, uh, who's that announcer that uh, long since passed away. You mean Don Pardo? 
Exactly. He think he still uses his intro. You mean he's dead? I didn't know that. I thought he was. If he's not, <laughs> excuse me, Mrs. Bardo. Yeah, we're so sorry. <laughs> hey, you, had, you were showing me something interesting before the show as it relates to today's guest. Why don't you talk about well, that a little bit? it's just by category. I don't know. For those that watch 60 Minutes, maybe you saw this piece uh, featured recently on 60 Minutes. Uh, Crystal Bridge Museum of American Art, which uh, along with its $800 million endowment, has opened recently. You might be thinking, well, how could that be news? Well, it's news <laughs> because from what I understand, it is. Uh, all backed by Alice Walton, that's of the Walton fortune, Walmart fortune, uh, and opened November 11th. At, uh, and it's in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I think the of big, all places, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big deal there, let me just back up a little bit. We're talking about 120 acres of park and gardens that has a, a, a sculpture and walking trails, Ray, that lead to Bentonville, Arkansas, which I thought was kind of an interesting idea. So at least you funnel that traffic back to uh, back to your local community there. But the big controversy is uh, that the Walton's retail empire, mm-hmm. which sold ever cheaper goods, as we all know, to Americans by outsourcing jobs to labor markets overseas, and therefore, as we all know, forcing closure of small stores throughout downtown oh, markets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, right. so blah, blah, blah. so the big deal there is that you know the critics say that it's denouncing the uh, effort that uh, she's making, Alice, in opening this because it's antithetical to the values of underlying that are underlying the art world and the art that Walton was acquiring. Now she's got her feelings about it, and frankly, I don't know about you, but you know, if you got. 20, 30 billion, whatever it is that she has, she can do what she wants with her money. You're doggone right, she can do whatever she wants with it. Who cares? And I don't know about you, but if I'm, if it were easier to get to, get to Bentonville, mm-hmm. from what I saw in 60 Minutes in the piece, I'd love to see a lot of that art. But uh, maybe we'll get our guest today to weigh in on what her thoughts are. And, on, we, on, and, and Bentonville in general. We've been by several times passing that, through the great state of Arkansas. Yes. What, what's there? Uh, a road. It gets you from Texarkana to uh, Memphis, and it works. <laughs> it's a good thing. Hey, did you see the, uh, speaking of art, did you see, it was kind of a funny piece, unfortunate for the artist who passed away a few years ago. Uh, there was a permanent, uh, or there was a, a piece on loan, uh, I guess a million dollar piece on loan to a museum. I believe it was New York City, uh, maybe someplace else. Maybe it was Bentonville. So anyway, the cleaning lady uh, gets in there, and um, she notes that uh, there's something nasty on the floor there, and doggone it, it looks ugly. And, and uh, so she commences to cleaning up the uh, the mess on the floor, and by golly, she got it all off. And um, after that, yeah, they found out that it, uh, it was a piece of art <clears throat> that was yeah. done by the gentleman who passed away. So what are they going to do? They can't replace it? Or maybe they can <laughs> Who knows? Maybe she shouldn't have said anything, just to kind of pour some more paint on the floor or something. You know, I saw, statement. That, <laughs> I saw that piece, and it was something about the patina that was created on that particular sculpture yeah. or whatever it was that that will never be able to be returned because she thought she was cleaning it. It reminded me of a story, just real quick. I didn't know you were going to read that story. True story, a friend as well as a client who's a big uh, sports aficionado who collects sports memorabilia, mm-hmm. was showing me his uh, New York Jets helmet, which he had several of. And, he, and I said, why is this signature by Joe Namath smeared? He goes, you wouldn't believe it. I said, what? He goes, our housekeeper was cleaning up one day. 
True story. Yeah. And what, he caught her in mid-wipe, wiping Joe Namath's uh, signature well, off the helmet. Yeah. That's terrible. Same, same type of story as you were Uh-oh. reading. Well, at least Joe's still alive. You know, he could still get another one, I guess, maybe. That's true. Or I think he did, You know, I think he may was in process of uh, trying to locate him. Because <laughs> you send those athletes, most of them, they're, you know stuff and they'll sign it if you're so which is really nice which we know of mr schaub here in the houston market yeah very nice all right guy. not all athletes are like that but yeah matt schaub is a great example of that with the quarterback of the houston texans yeah and a, and a good quarterback too it's about time we uh we are just about to talk to Catherine carter here in uh, new york it's ray shillings and brad forsyth on the advertising show jeremy kent always good it's Christmas. Well, of course, it's Christmas everywhere as it relates to marketing and such. And just as soon as the Halloween stuff came off the shelves, it was Christmas time. And uh, that's uh, the same way it is in the United Kingdom, of course, as we look into our European reporter. And it's uh, on right now. Hello and welcome to London, where the Christmas advertising is already well underway. I'm Jeremy Kent, and this is the European News Desk. This week, major brands sign up for the UK launch of Google+. British Airways will fly the Olympic torch. Publicist sets up a $200 million digital fund. And McLaren calls a global ad pitch. Google Plus has had a good take-up in Europe since its consumer launch last July. And its official UK commercial partner launch has seen brands' pages going live on the network for the first time. The Mail Online, Burberry and cellular company O2 were among the first to sign up, although it remains to be seen whether Google Plus can mount an effective challenge to Facebook. British Airways is a Tier 1 sponsor of the London Olympics and has been given the honour of flying the Olympic torch to the UK next summer. The Olympic flame will be lit in Olympia, Greece, before travelling to the UK on May the 18th. Then, starting at Land's End, Cornwall, the torch will commence a 70-day, 8,000-mile journey around the country, which, according to the Games organisers, will see the flame pass no more than 10 miles away from 95% of the UK population. In addition to the traditional relay runners, the torch will be carried on a tram, horseback and pushbike. Sponsors such as Coca-Cola and Lloyd's TSB are already promoting opportunities for the public to carry the Olympic flame, and it's estimated there will be around 8,000 torchbearers before the flame finally arrives in the Olympic Stadium. French advertising giant Publicis and France Telecom Orange have set up a $200 million fund to support digital startup projects across the European Union. The fund will provide seed capital for up to $1.3 million for startups, with more established companies able to apply for up to $20 million. Initially, the fund will focus on France and the EU, but the possibility of working outside the region with US and Asian partners hasn't been ruled out for the future. Finally, McLaren Automotive is looking for an agency to handle its global advertising as it sets out to challenge Ferrari and Lamborghini in the exotic sports car market. McLaren is best known for its highly successful Formula One race team and the ambitions for the new road car are equally high. McLaren hopes to establish 35 dealerships across Europe, Asia, the Middle East and the United States to market its new $275,000 MP4 12C supercar. The successful ad agency will become McLaren's global strategic partner and if rumours are true, an announcement will be made before Christmas. This is Jeremy Kent at the European News Desk for the Advertising Show. From the European News Desk, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, saying thanks once again to Jeremy Kent, our European News Desk reporter. Uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Who is Catherine T. Carter? Well, we told you she's an art consultant and author. Accelerating on the Curves is her new book, The Artist Roadmap 
to Success. This is a very interesting uh, book and a unique opportunity to learn more about her and uh, and what she does and how it relates to, to marketing and uh, the art world as well. One could aptly describe Catherine as a disarming dichotomy of Southern gentility and New York brass. And to me, that's bipolar. I'm not sure. No, I'm just, <laughs> just joking. The duality and an insistence on purposeful hard work and no-nonsense practicum has served her well in all her endeavors, past and present, professional photographer, successful New York City painter, small business owner, arts lecturer, and artist advisor. Her knowledge of the art world spans decades. Her experience and expertise come from hands-on implementation of her principles. And uh, she spent uh, 10 years on the road uh, traveling, as much as uh, 250 days per year uh, speaking. So we are certainly honored and uh, very happy to have Catherine with us today here on the Advertising Show. Catherine, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be a guest. Well, and you are our first uh, entry into the world of art, which is a subject we're going to be taking on more and more as we go on into 2012, and you're a great uh, starting point, Catherine. You know, uh, before today's interview, I was looking online at uh, what was out there as far as advice books for artists. You've written a great instructional book for artists, as Ray mentioned. So how does yours differ from what's out there, Catherine? Well, I mean, I think it's an extremely sort of practical approach to the process. It breaks things down in a way that um, is really manageable for artists. It helps them identify where they are in the process of their own career development. It uh, sort of shows them what needs to be done next to sort of accelerate that process, so to speak. And it gives them a map that um, I think is um, realistic, that um, they can implement certain templates to be able to achieve certain outcomes. And I, you know, I would want to also say that it, the contributions of my distinguished associates um, you know, here in New York and also pre- Peter Frank in Los Angeles, um, I think that their sort of take on it, um, on the whole process of career development, I think that that is sort of polishes it off at a really high level because I'm sort of the roll up your shirt sleeves, you know, nuts and bolts um, sort of anchor of the company. But when it actually comes into an arena like New York, um, there are, you know, people that really do have an inside understanding of how to best navigate what is a really competitive uh, market. So I think it's really. Uh, the joining of forces that um, made a book that's this comprehensive, and I really don't think that there has ever been one attempted that provides so much information that can be helpful um, to artists. Well, now, if for anyone out there, if you purchase this book, you don't have to read the introduction. You just got it. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about those three levels, uh, stages, as you, as you describe them in your book. But before we do that, I think, you know, when a lot of people, Ray and I were talking about this before today's show, a lot of people, when they think of artists, they're envisioning a quirky, reserved, withdrawn personality. You've dealt with so many artists throughout your career. Are artists by nature, Catherine, difficult people when it comes to understanding business principles, and in particular, the role marketing must play if one is to be successful? Well, I mean, I think they kind of come into, you know, what is a very sort of demanding and challenging market, um, not necessarily, you know, prepared from their um, um, experience uh, on the educational level in the studio. So I think, 
you know, they often will bring in major, you know, um, art world figures to speak, and, you know, they tell their stories and, and whatnot, and they're a great inspiration to these uh, students, but often they're not really provided with, um, I think, the kind of information that would uh, sort of sustain them over a long period of time, uh, teach them about other um, careers that they might be able to entertain simultaneously to developing you know, um, a, a career in the arts, and so they're not really equipped. And um, I think that because of that, because those issues were not really effectively dealt with in their undergraduate and oftentimes in their graduate level work, you know, I think they often come out into um, an arena um, like New York or another major city, and they really come up against more than their prepared to um, cope with. So I think that that's uh, certainly one of the things that um, sometimes adds to their lack of confidence, their insecurity, maybe their eccentricities, or maybe their sort of neediness, that kind of thing, which if they're not the best attributes and qualities, I think, to bring to the business situation. But I think that, you know, what's really necessary is, is an understanding of whatever it is that you're going after, how each piece of the puzzle fits together so that you can, you know, sort of understand how to navigate successfully through, you know, all kinds of waters. And um, that's something that I think they're not provided with. And, yes, you know, I think sometimes, you know, artists do have you know, unusual backgrounds, things that they're working out, you know, um, deep, you know, personal challenges, that sort of thing. And I think all of, all of those things kind of come together to sometimes contribute to people that aren't necessarily equipped to um, maybe put the best foot forward professionally. Well, you know, uh, advertising uh, and those out there in the advertising world know all too well that we, uh, that leave college with our degrees and enter into that field are hardly prepared. Uh, we're prepared with a basis of knowledge, but in terms of how it works out there in the real world, it's it's not taught in schools today, and there's some similarities, I'm sure, with those leaving uh, school with their MFAs and BFAs as it relates to the art world as it does back to our world in marketing and advertising. Your book is written for artists at varying levels, as, you've already, as you already mentioned, Catherine. Uh, take us very briefly through the three career levels that you describe in your book? Well, I mean, the first thing I think that an artist can actually embark on, even when they're in school, is to identify the opportunities that sort of exist at the local, county, and statewide level. And I think what the book does is it, it tells how you can access, pinpoint that kind of information and how you actually begin the process of starting to get injured in competitive exhibitions, um, start to make relationships with the uh, press, start to meet other artists, begin that process of uh, networking. And so it's something that if they begin that process while they're in school, you know, if they're taught that, you know, at the undergraduate level, then they start to gain a lot of confidence and poise as they move into, you know, the graduate level work and they start to maybe get in more prestigious exhibitions at, at small to mid-size um, museums, group exhibitions that maybe are thematically based. And then following that, as they've, as they've begun to uh, build a reputation locally and in their county and statewide, then they can start to look out uh, regionally. They'll understand how to identify the opportunities 
that would be career enhancing that would place them in the position to perhaps get you know reviewed or to make connections with better gallery dealers so you move from sort of state into regional and ultimately you move into sort of a national arena of professional uh, activity where you are looking at mid-size museums and larger acquainting curators with your work learning through the roadmap of other artists who have also gone before you what their trajectory was and how they accomplished certain things until you're really properly prepared to um, compete in a in a um, in an arena like New York City, um, which is definitely not for the faint of spirit, I can tell you that. <laughs> so. We are talking with uh, with uh, Catherine Carter, our art consultant and author, and also author of the book, uh, the new book called Accelerating on the Curves, the Artist uh, Roadmap to Success. Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe here on The Advertising Show. Hope you're enjoying the interview. Back here in just a moment with more. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. That is certainly art, Hello, uh, at least art on her head, as Chiquita Banana, uh, an icon. Chiquita Banana, and I've come to say... <laughs> if that's what you'd like to be, that's a good thing there. Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth here on The Advertising Show with our guest today, who is out of New York, and her name is Catherine Carter, author of the book called Accelerating on the Curves, The Artist Roadmap to Success. She's also an art consultant, happy to report that on Brad's latest uh, paint-by-number on uh, uh, Velcro... Uh, he's uh, got the dogs uh, playing poker done and is now working on an Elvis uh, thus far. And velvet, I tell you, it's beautiful, way. huh? Yes. Oh. It's a, a velvet. Is in a velvet? Name. Okay, very good. I thought it was yes. on Velcro. Uh, yeah. But that's fine. Uh, that would be actually an interesting thing to paint on, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> Catherine, welcome back to the show. Good to have you here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, before we get back into those three categories, because you've triggered a thought there, let me get your take on artists and creativity. How do you recommend Catherine, an artist, goes about finding their own voice and developing their unique, uh, I don't know, intuitive nature to the creative process? Well, I mean, I think people, you know, they begin in a lot of different ways. I mean, it's extremely important that you're knowledgeable and informed, that you go out and see shows, that you also, you know, you might want to read books about artists whose work that you admire, and, and certainly in the initial years sort of emulating you know, the way that they may have approached um, their own career can be um, very helpful. But, I mean, I I really think exposure, you know, to important art is is very important. But in the end, what has to happen is, is you have to be able to reinterpret what you're responding to through your own sort of inner muscle um, of expression, and you have to sort of transform the information that's around you into something that is really uniquely your own. So, I mean, it, it is a process. It's a process that goes out on throughout someone's life as they sort of refine and they sort of extrapolate and they eliminate things that, you know, are not authentic in the work. And I think through that process, your own voice comes through much more clearly. Um, I think that's the reason that a lot of artists do need to spend a great deal of time uh, alone because they have to be able to sort of reach inside of themselves 
to find that thing that really defines what the purpose of their life is, their own uh, sort of path or road, which is probably why I chose, you know, that as part of the title of the book. So well, let's, I, I, let's I go did back. okay on that one. But <laughs> yeah, let's go back to those stages for a moment. Stage one, just to remind our audience, the local, county, and statewide career development. After an artist has successfully completed stage one, have you? What do you find is the greatest barrier for an artist at that level to move on to the next stage? Well, I mean, so many factors um, sort of impact on a person's ability to achieve certain things. I mean, each artist is an individual, and they carry a different amount of personal responsibility. They have different financial you know, abilities. I mean, artists are often hardworking, you know, family people, and so they have, you know, sometimes difficulty um, being able to commit to things that may require, you know, travel or additional expenditures. I mean, I do think that once you do move out of the, you know, the local sort of statewide um, area of activity, I think that um, hopefully what would have happened through that process initially is that you would be able to identify with more accuracy the kinds of opportunities that would be um, really highly facilitating in terms of gaining exposure, uh, you know, reviews, uh, making affiliations with um, different galleries. But, you know, again, I think that it's, it's easy to manage something like your, you know, your state. I mean, that's something where there may be three or four hundred different types of opportunities, both in the commercial and nonprofit areas like museums, art centers. But then when you start to throw, you know, a wider net, it's going to require a lot of very selective sort of knowledge and understanding in terms of where you're going to direct your energies, your resources, in order to make, you know, headway and bump your career up to the next sort of orbit of activity. So, but, you know, the thing is, is for some people, having a local or statewide reputation is very fulfilling. They have a, you know, a, a, a following of collectors. They have the respect and admiration of their colleagues and their friends. I mean, it's, you know, it's not everybody doesn't have to come to New York to, you know, have a career or make contributions that are meaningful. And, and I w- would hope that nobody would read my book and feel that that you know, was a necessity to feel like you've done something of value in your life, uh, you know. Let, let, let's for a moment, Catherine, uh, move away from all of the wonderful advice that you do give in your book, and you do lay out a roadmap, and you do uh, articulate uh, quite clearly the various steps and, and ways in which an artist can move through the three stages of development. I'm sure there must have been, throughout your career, you've seen artists that have gone about career advancement in a non-traditional way, whether it uh, be sheer luck or great timing or exceptional talent or a little bit of all three of those. Are there many exceptions to career paths uh, that you lay out in your book that are just totally non-traditional career paths that you could share an example or two uh, with that really just pretty much are, you know, when I, when I thought about this question, I thought about the... Uh, the young actress sitting in the malt shop and gets dis- or drugstore, uh, shop, you know, gets discovered by Hollywood. And, and does this happen in the art world? No, not much anymore. It really doesn't. I mean, you can you can try to get in group shows that were curated by you know people that have um, you know a lot of notoriety in the field. 
you can hope that sometimes the company that you keep might lead to, you know, uh, further connections and, and opportunities. But, I mean, the art world today, it's, in my opinion, it's really, it's really big business. And you, all, you have to be a business person and of a business mind in addition to being, you know, uh, a highly creative uh, source of energy to be able to survive. I think that, um, you know, uh, a sure way to fail would be to sort of, you know, continue to make your work and maybe the work is wonderful and it's, you know, got great integrity and authenticity. But if nobody knows about what you're doing, then, you know, it's, it's really all for naught. And I think that's, I mean, I see it all the time. You know, people that come to my company much, much later in life, sometimes there's t- uh, enough time to be able to um, sort of give them a push and take them up to a certain uh, level. But, um, you know, it's like you can walk down any street in New York, you know, and you can just see a lot of paintings and dumpsters and, you know, people that sort of didn't have a plan and just went on sort of doing it for the purity of doing it without any knowledge of, you know, how to market themselves or to promote effectively. And I imagine there's been great, great talent that's been lost um, simply because, they didn't have the tools. I don't think it's like that anymore. I don't think the world is like that. I think the artist is a, is a commodity, and the work that they make is the same thing. It's uh, it's unfortunate, but I think that's the truth. So it is accelerating on the curve. The artist roadmap to success. Catherine Carter is an art consultant, and of course, she's an author as well. Here with Rachel and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Glad you're listening. Thanks for being a part of it. We'll be back in just a minute. Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show with our special guest out of New York and a very neat book. It relates to, to art, obviously, but when you when you look at the book and you look at more in-depth what it's talking about, it really relates to uh, uh, marketing in general. It's a good book. It's called Accelerating on the Curves, the Artist's Roadmap to Success, and our guest is Catherine Carter. Catherine, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, which I, you may have answered to a degree, uh, which is kind of related to the question we just concluded last segment with and that was how often do you come across an exceptionally talented artist that is either unwilling or unable to put forth the kind of effort that you describe in your book for one to advance their career once they maybe engage with you and understand what's before them and as you know we that have read the book understand all of that but before this book was out someone may call you and say okay I've here's my artwork I want to go I want to get it out there and then you explain all of the effort that an artist must make in order to get it out there and they say ah hell with it well, you know, I think, actually, I think that that's really not the exception. I think, to a degree, it is almost a rule, because I think when when they realize what's required, then they sort of have to ask themselves, you know, is this, are they really up to, you know, something of that uh, magnitude? Because I think, you know, today, to be, you know, visible, to, um, you know, to sort of be on the tip of, of people's tongues to, you know, to have that kind of um, sort of recognition, I think that you you sort of have to be on it 24-7. I mean, you have to be willing to, you know, invest a great deal of money in, in um, advertising and working with other professionals to further your career. I mean, as I've gone, I've done hundreds and hundreds of one-on-one consultations with my clients, over the years, and I always say at the, you know, at the end of the consultation that the most ideal relationship that I 
have with one of my clients is if I get to do what I do best, which is to book the exhibitions in the nonprofit venues nationally, but then if they bring their energies to that equation by identifying commercial galleries that are in that geographic vicinity that might be interested in their work, identifying corporate collections, art consultants, architects, interior designers, in other words, them handling the um, the sort of selling commercial component while, while I've created this sort of a kind of mothership exhibition that all these things can be built around. So I will tell every artist that I meet about that. Any artist that signs a contract, I'll explain that that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Then when they actually get the show booked, what I see nine out of ten times, I would say 90 out of 100 times, what I observe is is that they have their show, and even knowing that these are things that they can do to have a sustained presence in the area after their exhibition is over, um, you know, introducing their work to gallery dealers in maybe that immediate geographic vicinity or even elsewhere in the state, most of them will, for some unknown reason, will not take the initiative to make those contacts and use an exhibition as the sort of leverage to be able to initiate something that's positive, you know, in the commercial realm. I don't know why it's like that. It's a mystery to me. That seems very odd. It seems, as a business person, uh, Ray and I both would think that if you had that kind of opportunity, you would use that as a springboard to advance, uh, not only advance your career, but to bring other uh, elements into the uh, groundswell of interest that you're creating there. Yeah, Describe for us, Catherine, some of the most common ways an artist can go about alienating other art professionals? Well, I think people that are, I mean, we call them, you know, needy, high-maintenance, you know, um, artists. And, you know, in other words, it's like sometimes they are so inwardly directed that it's very difficult for them to understand that these museum curators or gallery directors, um, that they really don't have the time to sort of entertain embroiling, you know, personal relationships with these people. I mean, it's a business and I think that um, when they make, when artists can make things a little bit more complicated than they need to be, or you know, eat up a lot of time, you know, because they are insecure, and it's it's totally understandable, you know, that you're excited, you have an upcoming, you know, exhibition and an opportunity. But oftentimes, I think that um, perhaps their fear or uncertainty sort of drives, um, you know, this engine within them that sometimes can create problems in their professional, um, you know, relationships. I think is that... It, it, excuse me a second, Catherine. Is that insecurity, though? I mean, isn't that what we're really talking about with an artist that needs a lot of hand-holding and a lot of, you know, ego massage? I think it is. I mean, I think it's insecurity. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's wanting... I mean, the, the really, the truly heart-wrenching part of it is that it's wanting so much to share who they are uniquely with the world to be understood, to be respected, and to be appreciated. And believe me, that is a very heavy-duty, loaded equation to sort of try to get out of every opportunity that you have. So it's completely understandable, and I'm very, very empathetic, but I think that it would, be a, it would really be a wonderful thing if artists could, you know, sort of pull themselves back and have more of an objective understanding of each opportunity that they have, that it's part of their process. 
They'll learn things. It won't be perfect. It'll never meet their expectations entirely, but they'll take away from that experience something that will make the next experience even better, bring uh, much greater or, or better results. Before so, you know, I ask... I mean, I wish that artists had that, you know, ability, and maybe when you get older, you know, you, you start to get a little bit more seasoned, but I, I think a lot of artists struggle with those things. It's... I mean, your heart goes out to them, but you just have to kind of, like, get a grip, grow up, and realize this is a business. And that's, it's a business today. I'm afraid that's what it is. Bottom Before line. I ask you a final question for this uh, segment as well as this interview, your paintings have received attention from critics of national and international prominence. Where, if someone listening today was interested in seeing your work, where can they see your work, either online or in a... Uh, uh, brick and mortar <laughs> well i mean i think they could probably do it if they google i was in a real bad wreck down in philadelphia in the 80s and i lost the use of my arms for about three years and that's really when i started the company so i haven't done any painting in my studio since really the late 80s and finally i after you know building a lazy susan device and trying to be able to make my arms do these hard edge paintings i just said i've got to figure something else out and actually that was that entire ordeal was the impetus for you know creating a company that would really serve to help artists be more effective professionals well i'm going to google you i know ray will as well and hopefully we'll mm -hmm. see some of that work it doesn't matter whether it was back in the 80s or or last year i'm sure it's great work or you wouldn't have achieved uh such uh, critical acclaim, as well as having such a wonderful career. One final question, Catherine. Uh, if an artist, regardless of what stage they may be in in their career development, were to ask you for one single piece of advice to advance their career, what would it be? One single piece of advice to advance their career? you got to do good work. It's like everything is predicated on that. So the time that you spend in your studio that you give to your craft, you know, to make it unique, to own it fully as your own, that's the best piece of advice that I can give because if you don't have great work, it, everything else is, is really not possible. So it's all about the work and obviously a little bit about work. marketing there. Hey, Catherine, it's been a blast having you here today at the Advertising Show. I want to mention the book again, Accelerating on the Curves, the Artist's Roadmap to Success. And if you want to find out more about Catherine and what she does in the art world as it relates to marketing and such, you can go to her website. It's K-T-A-S-S-O-C, so it'd be K-T-C-A-S-S-O-C.com, K-T-C-Associates.com. And uh, again, Catherine, it's been a, a lovely time having you here today. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. Here at the Advertising Show coming up on the 27th, we have Jeff Klein, CEO of Cause Alliance Marketing. He's also the author of Working for Good. What are you doing and what is it affecting our world? It'll be a great interview. Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth here with the Advertising Show. It's powered by Shipple, Shipple.com. The program, the platform is Tendency. It is killer. Check it out at schipul.com. The Advertising Show is also brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. We'll talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. 
iwantmedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says iwantmedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit iwantmedia.com.